Hello, everybody, and welcome to Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, methods, best practices, and their personal stories from the trenches of journalism. Today, we have an exciting guest, Elizabeth Adiola. Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you working right now? Right now, I am working at KUED. It is the PBS station in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, awesome. I think the last that I had seen from you, were you in Cincinnati at one point? Indianapolis. Oh, okay, okay. Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Okay, so let's, let's run people through. Where did you uh, begin your career? Where, where, all, you know, where did you start and, and what stations have you worked for? Okay, I'm originally from Arizona, graduated from the Walter Cronkite School of Broadcast Journalism, Go Sun Devils. From there, I went to Reno, Nevada as an overnight associate producer, noon producer. From there, I went to Midland, Odessa, Texas and worked for KOSA with Jose. I'm sure you're familiar with that bunch of uh, journalists there. Um, that was right after they did that show, the Making News Texas style. <laughs> From there, I went to Decatur, Illinois, which is the Springfield Champagne Decatur market. And after that, I went to Columbus, Ohio. From Columbus, Ohio to Indianapolis, Indianapolis to Salt Lake City, Utah. Wow, quite a journey, right? Yeah. So how many years have you been doing this, been been an on-air uh, broadcast news reporter? Uh, over a decade. It's been more than 10 years. Time, time flies. Yeah, what, what Liz was mentioning, the, uh, that, that TV show was the Making News Texas style was a uh, reality show through the TV Guide Network that they did about a, uh, first it was uh, Midland Odessa, the station that we actually both worked for, but at different times. Um, uh, KOSA TV, CBS 7 News. And then they later did a second season, I think, in uh, Georgia. Was it Savannah? Yeah, it was Augusta. Or, yeah, it was Savannah. You're right. It was season two. And I think it, it, I think it died off after that. Um, and then years later, like in 2014, um, another network did, did basically the same thing, I believe. Or it might have been a third season of it um in another market i think it was mississippi and then that that kind of died too but i mean as as local news people i i, I love shows like that i love watching it but it's, it, it is a little bit weird because the journalists are supposed to be focused on their jobs and and i think it uh it's probably not incredibly ethical or, or really the best idea but so you weren't on the show were you no and i think maybe that was a good thing because people I would talk to later weren't sure if that helped or hurt their careers. Um, During that time, I loved watching it because I got to see who I was going to be working with before I got to the station. So it was a great sneak peek into like the different personalities and and the reality of what the station was going to be like before I actually got there on the ground and started working there. When did, when did you leave uh, KOSA? I was there. So there was this program called the Minorities and Broadcast Training Institute. And I went there with the with that program. And it was set for someone to go and work at the station and get all the real life training working at the station as like a real reporter. 
the pay was the lowest of low. I think it was like minimum wage, whatever the minimum wage was at that time, about $7 an hour, seven twenty-five an hour. And so when I got there, Jose was like, you can work as much as you need to survive. So I was working seven days a week and I was there for about, I want to say nine months. And so the way the contracts worked with that program was I could work there um, for a year or until I got an offer at another station. And I got another offer at another station, which uh, offered to uh, give me a photographer. And so I would be working more so uh, focusing on reporting instead of like shooting and all the one man band stuff. And sometimes I'd be producing at KOSA as well. So um, yeah, so I took that opportunity and that's when I moved to, uh, to Illinois. You were probably like, thank, like, like, <laughs> so thankful, you know, like, get me out of here, uh, minimum wage. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rough because I was working every day. I, um, I also freelance. Well, I, I was like a sports correspondent for the sports show that they had on Sundays. So I was that. That's what I would would do on Sundays when I would come in. But after a while he was like, okay, you got to cut back on your hours. And I'm like, but I have to eat. I need to survive. (laughs) Like That's why I'm coming in with so many hours. I mean, I think I had a paycheck one time that had like maybe 120 hours on it. Wow. It was, it was a lot. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a crazy business and it sounds like that was an especially, uh, you know, uh, wild experience for you. So what do you think that that program, the minorities in broadcast training Institute, do you, do you think that that was helpful for you? I mean, do you think that that, that helped like launch your career or do you think you probably would have survived without it? Or, or what are your thoughts looking back on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause where I was at, um, I, it took me a year and a half to get my very first job. And I was going to the post office back then. It was when people were doing tapes. So I was going to the post office with tapes every week, at least like 10 to 20 tapes and sending them out to different places and not really getting anything back. And I had taken a job working for General Electric and they had me doing um, this special program that they had called the GE CEO training program. And I was working with their, like, uh, with their marketing person. And I was doing like corporate communications type stuff. And I was doing that. And I saw that as like another way, because at that time, GE was with NBC. And they're like, after you work here for six months, you can transfer to, you know, whatever jobs are within our network. And that was one of the jobs. They had a station in Boston. So I was like, okay, maybe I can get my foot in the door that way. Um, That didn't really pan out. When I went to Reno as overnight associate producer, the news director, when I was hired, was like, oh, I think you know how to do on-air stuff. Maybe we can have you do, um, on my reel, I had some, some weather that I did. I anchored weather when, I'm also in the National Association of Black Journalists, and they do student projects at their conference every year. So at WSB, I got to do the weather for the conference. Okay. And so um, that was on my reel. So the news director was like, Whenever our weekend weather person is out, you can fill in and do that. And I was there for months and months and months, and that never happened. And then there was an opening, and the news director uh, straight up said at a meeting, like, 
we're not just going to put anyone up there. We want a qualified meteorologist and all this. So I was like, okay, like the writing's on the wall. But I had never stopped applying for like an on-air job once I was working in Reno. So that was good on my part because that landed me the job in Odessa. Yeah, okay. So did you, you probably, because I arrived in Odessa at the same station, um, I think you and I are probably about the same age. I, I got there um, in June of 2008. And mm -hmm. I think you had probably just left, right? In, in like February or something, or maybe even in April. It was, yeah, it was April. I left in April. Yeah, so we, we missed each other by basically one month or two months. Um, but obviously I, I heard your name and, and knew of you. So it's, it's funny in that industry because I, I sort of feel like I know you, but I think in reality we've never met. So it's just one of those. Um, no, I think we, we did meet at oh, the right. IRE conference. That's right. I, I totally, I, I, I'm just, mm -hmm. I now remember that completely. I forget which one that was. It might have been Boston or San Francisco. Where we did. I think it was in San Antonio, maybe. San Antonio, okay. In San okay. Yeah. Okay, but we were, I think we were friends on Facebook, and then we met at the IRE conference. That's right. Okay, that's right. Good, good. Okay, well, we have met, so we know each other very well, clearly. As yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we go way back. We go way, way back. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so that would have been like 2013. Uh, you know, that would have been like five years after I'd started in Odessa, and at that point, I was in Connecticut, and you were in uh, Columbus, I want to say, maybe. Uh-huh. Yep. All right. Well, let's kind of get into uh, some things. So you're working for a PBS affiliate now. And I think, I mean, at least I have this probably false conception that PBS just does like documentaries and like airs Mr. Rogers. So yeah, <laughs> have you briefly talk about like w what you're doing there? Is it, is it the same as, as what you've done at other TV stations or is it vastly different? Oh my gosh, it is so much different. And I have to think, I had two coworkers who went to PBS stations from where we were working in Indianapolis at the ABC affiliate, and they went there first. So they kind of paved the way, and I was able to pick their brains about, okay, what what is it really like working for PBS? And like, are you bored? Is it slow? Do you have enough stuff to do? And they actually went to go work for like one of the top PBS stations in the nation, KPBS, in uh, it's in um, San Diego. Uh -huh. So not only are they working in Paradise in San Diego, but they're working for like this state of the art, brand new building with all this new technology PBS station that's just like turning out all these different shows and allowing them to do different kinds of stories that we weren't really allowed to do when we were in the grind doing news day to day. So they gave me a lot of hope and I came to, uh, I came across the job in Salt Lake City off of TV, tvjobs.com and I was applying for a lot of jobs at that time and I had several interviews in different places and what really struck me about this station is that it was like the start of something new and I would be able to build it from the ground up and that is something that I've never been able to do before like I mean we're talking picking out the graphics for what the show is going to look like the music for the opening how the credits are going to roll like all of the nitty-gritty just like building this show and hosting it and being able to go out and produce and gather stories that's also something that I learned as well at a lot of PBS stations they don't call them reporters they call them producers but you're basically going out and 
gathering the stories, still producing the stories and putting everything together like a reporter would. They just haven't had a lot of on-air talent at the station that I'm at. And so they're used to the producers just staying behind the scenes and basically putting together uh, longer versions of nap packages where they don't use their voice, they don't narrate. And so they hired me on here to be that on-camera presence, to be the host, to be the journalist, to be the um, the producer that also like steps on camera for the show as well. So that's wow. what I do. And I love it. It is so much fun. Awesome. That's good to hear. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, now you're making me uh, think I need to, to run to my nearest uh, PBS and get a job there. But hey, San Diego. <laughs> San Diego sounds really good. So how long have you been there now? Over a year. It's it's coming up on a year and a half so far. And is, is the pay comparable to what you'd make at a traditional, you know, like uh, Columbus or Indianapolis or whatever? That is another thing that could have thrown me off is the pay because when it's listed, it was a certain amount where I was like, okay, that's less than what I'm making. But I still apply for the job. And um, I'm pretty good at negotiating salaries and things like that. So I was able to negotiate a salary that was a little bit more than what I was making in Indianapolis. Very nice. Very nice. And you're in uh, Salt Lake City, right? Uh, do you, I've actually never been to Utah in my life. Um, is it cool? Do you like it? I had never been to Utah in my life either. I love it here. People think I'm crazy when I say that. Um, it wasn't on my radar, but when I got here, um, I'm originally from Arizona, so grew up in Mesa, Arizona, and I'm, I, I was missing the mountains being in the Midwest, and so there's just like these beautiful mountains, beautiful sunrises and sunsets. There's lots of nature all around. Right now it's snowing, which I thought I would get away from that, moving back closer to home, but that's okay. It's It's not the same kind of ice storms and all of that that you that you probably gotten used to out there um further east but it is just there's so much going on here i didn't it didn't hit me until it was almost time that like sundance happens out here there's a big like movie uh there's a big uh a movie boom out here where lots of movies are shot out here and you never know who you're going to bump into. And it's just a really exciting place that seems like it's growing. And uh, there's a lot of tech jobs that are coming here. One thing that I was concerned about is the cost of living is a little bit high. I was like, these are kind of California prices, which I also factored into my negotiations when I was negotiating the salary. But um, I, it, it's an amazing place. Crime is fairly low as well <laughs> and being someone who covered a lot of crime in Indianapolis that was that was a breath of fresh air for me yeah well I mean if, if things for some crazy reason don't work out at the PBS station you could just go work for the Utah Bureau of Tourism at this point I think and uh very good <laughs> at advertising uh Salt Lake City yeah no yeah. But things are, are working out and that's awesome so um you know, I mean, I think it takes a, a certain, I have a lot of respect for you. I mean, the fact that you've traveled all over the country and just listening to you there. I mean, you're from Arizona, but you picked up everything and have moved so many times, um, you know, Texas and Ohio and Indiana and, and elsewhere and, and now Utah. And, uh, you know, it's away from home and, and I, I assume away from family in, 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 in most cases. 
you know, it, it takes a certain type of person to, to do this, you know, to do that type of thing, be willing to uh, travel all across the country. So let me ask you, I mean, what is it about you that, that makes that worth it for you? And, and I guess the same question is, or a similar question is kind of like, why did you get into news to begin with? Uh, so to answer your first question, I went to, I went to a middle school, a high school and college that was all off the same street, University Drive. And, uh, so like we have a city that has like a main street that just cuts through everything. And so you can go from Mesa to Tempe to Phoenix, all by driving down this one street, University Drive. And I went to school. Um, middle school, high school, and college all off that same road. And I just always kicked myself for not going out of state for college. The Cronkite School, top-notch journalism program, top-notch school. I got to meet Cronkite twice um, while I was there. But it was just like, okay, like, this is a huge country, and you've only seen and lived in one small part of it. Um, I was really ready to branch out and see something new. My senior year of college, I got to be an intern slash interviewer, interviewer on this documentary program called 14 Days in America, where we traveled from New York to Portland, and we stopped at 14 different cities in 14 days, interviewing people about the state of the country post 9-11. Wow. And so... That just like really opened my eyes and got me excited. Like I was taking business cards of the reporters that were coming to interview us about the project and stuff. And I was just like, okay, this could be a potential market that I go to. Like I was, I, I was planning, I was excited to just branch out and travel and do that climb from the small market to, um, I never really wanted to go to a large, large market. Mid market was always my goal, but, um, yeah, I was just excited to to live in different places that that weren't close to home, and I also didn't appreciate Phoenix for what it was. I thought it was so boring, so uh-huh. dull. And now I go back there, and there's all this stuff happening. They're they posted Super Bowls, and I'm just like, of course, all this would happen after I left. Of course. I hear you. I. I go- <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I felt the same way about Pittsburgh. I, I wanted to get out so, so badly as a, as a teenager, and, and I sort of did. I mean, not really. I, I went to school two hours away in, in Pennsylvania, and, and then I did get away. went to Texas and Connecticut, but it felt like right at the end of the time I was in Connecticut, Pittsburgh was becoming very cool at that point. You know, there was a lot going on. Yeah. And I was like, God, God dang it. You know, now I'm, now I'm <laughs> here, and it's, it's great. And, but I, I did end up, coming, I did end up coming, coming back, and I'm, and I'm here now, and uh, – so it's, it's, it's good to be back, but uh, no, I mean, I, I totally hear you. So, and then just very briefly, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I mean, what is it that makes you passionate for news, you know, being a TV reporter? Oh, ever since I was a kid, a child, I mean, it goes all the way back to being probably like five or six years old and going on those library trips. And there was always that person who got to like read the books and show the pictures to the kids. And even as a kid, I was like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to read the stories and show the pictures to people. And so I was a nerd as a kid. I would put on closed captioning during the news and put it on mute. And I would read the closed captioning like I was reading a teleprompter. Like I was just honed in and set that like, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. Um, 
when I was a teenager, I would email news, news reporters from all over the country, like asking them advice and asking them how they got started and stuff. So it was just a fire in me to, to tell great stories and, and to show stories to people. And that, that's what drives me. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's cool. And actually never, uh, I, that's very, that was very creative and, and clever of you as a child to, to do the closed caption thing. That I mean, it makes a lot of sense <laughs> it's obvious yeah. now that I'm hearing it, but I'm like, I never thought of that. Um, <laughs> that's really cool. You know, everyone has a different origin story and, and that's, that's a good one. I, I've never heard that, like the library thing. That's, that's very cool. Um, you know, it's funny thinking back to my time at CBS seven KOS, KOSA TV in, in, uh, Odessa, Texas. It's a time I, I enjoyed it, but I, I was kind of in a different situation than you. I was actually making like, I mean, a very low salary, but I was like a salaried employee. So that helped a little bit, but I also did run up a lot of credit card debt because it, the salary still didn't cover the, uh, yeah. cause the thing about Odessa, people don't realize who, who've never been there in Midland is, um, at least when I went there, you know, there was a boom in oil. So housing was actually really expensive because yes. you know there was there was a high demand and low supply so it was like you know everyone's like oh well the cost of living must be great and i was like no no it's not um <laughs> you know, I'm paying a surprisingly high amount for an apartment you know coming from the northeast we would consider this to be the, the middle of nowhere you know no offense to my friends in midland odessa but um you know it was actually expensive now the food prices were lower i noticed at the heb like the grocery stores it was lower and there's no income tax in Texas, so that helped. But, um, but goodness, it was it was expensive there, which was weird. I mean, we were there at a weird time. I mean, if you think about it, you know, 2007, 2008 was the financial markets crashing, and uh, I mean, what a time to be coming out of college for both of us. You know, I think we probably. Yeah. I mean, I guess what you graduate in 07, 06? 05. Oh, five. Okay. Okay. So you're a little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit uh, before me, but still, I mean, you know, to be seeking a job right at that time is, is really uh, potentially daunting, but you know, um, if you can do it then, I guess you can do it at any point, but it's funny to me looking back on, uh, on uh, CBS seven, because yeah, I did I, like your story is so much so similar to mine. Like when I got hired, of course I'm Googling the station, you know, to learn more about it. And I found out that there was that reality show so I was glued to my computer watching every episode of that show, which is like, how many people do that? Like, like watch a TV show about your like soon to be coworkers and, and get right? to know them through this like really weird format. Like it was unbelievable. So I'm like, okay, well, right? I know Jose, I know Jay Hendricks, I know Gary Williams, I know Kara Sewell, you know, so, uh -huh. uh, and, and Melissa Correa. And, and it was like, oh my God, now I'm working with them. This is so bizarre. Um, yeah, and imagine watching that show, and then, um, so my apartment wasn't ready. I live, like, right across the street from the mall, which is where the station was at, and my apartment wasn't ready in time, and so Catherine just opened her doors and let me stay, Catherine Collins, let me stay with her for a couple of days until my apartment was ready, and it was just like, okay, I just watched you on this reality show, and now, like, they're just the kindest, realest people, and yeah, I still talk to a lot of those people even today. That's awesome. I do too. I do too. I mean, that, that it really was, I, I don't know that I've ever met nicer people in my life than I did in, in Texas. And it's kind of a stereotype of like that Southern charm or whatever, Southern hospitality. But I, I found it to be true, actually, you know, just yeah. coming from the Northeast. I mean, people here, like they don't want to look you in the eye. They don't want to, 
always hold the door for you. And down there, it was a total opposite. I mean, people smile and um, it, it, it was nice. I mean, obviously, you know, every part of the country has its troubles. But uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed my time there for sure. And uh, I mean, only I feel like once you've worked at, at CBS 7 or really just in Midland, Odessa, like you're part of this club. And, and that can mm-hmm. never be for better or worse. And it can never be taken away from you. I mean, because people don't understand like what a what a bizarre situation that was. I mean, the TV station is in a mall called Music City Mall, but like the Music City is technically Nashville, but for some reason, <laughs> the mall's called the Music City Mall, and then it's like named after the Music City, you know, it, it, none of it makes sense. And then they have like the Music City, they had the MCM Elegante Hotel, right? Yeah. Owned by Mr. Bushman, a great man who, you know, I, I like because he, hired me, was always friendly to me and treated me well, but it was just hilarious because mm-hmm. we called it the MCM Grande and MCM Elegante Hotel, and MC- so it was like the Music City Mall Elegante Hotel, which is like, why is it a hotel <laughs> named after a mall, which is named after a but it's really not that, that yeah, so. I don't know. Being in that mall with the glass windows and everybody being able to pass by was interesting as well. People would bring uh, pies for Kara. <laughs> I think that was like one of the only times, usually when food pops up in a newsroom, everybody's just like, but for me, just random people coming to the mall and bringing pies by, I was kind of like, okay, I think I'll wait till a few other people take a bite first. And if they're still around, maybe I'll try it too. Breaking news, six journalists killed from, you know, high delivery. That would be terrible. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was wild, though. I mean, so the, 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 the entire studio, for people who are listening and don't know, was inside of, a, like, an old mall, um, probably that was built in, like, the 60s or, or 50s, I don't, I don't know, or 70s. And mm-hmm. the carpeted mall, it was a carpeted mall with these little kiosks everywhere where they were selling, like, doing, like, eyebrow threading and, and, and selling skin cream. And, like, every day I would walk through that hallway and they'd be like, hello, sir, do you want to, like, smooth your face with new skin cream? I was like, no, I've I, I told you times I, I just work here like I don't want to buy skin cream right now um there was yeah, also, it was there was an was ice different. rink in that mall remember that the ice rink oh yeah and there was, yeah. I think there was a carousel an ice rink and of course a tv station so it, ha- it had it all and a bar of course oh that's right that was right. <laughs> bar, right so the, the when Alan Walter became a producer he'd always go hey man you want to go to 10 after the 10 <laughs> Which he meant, you know, the 10 o'clock news and I was like just stop saying the 10 like you're just you're just confusing me like um yeah yeah we would go to that bar sometimes and wind down and yeah it was it was it was kind of old school it's almost like cheers you know like the entire like tv station would go to that bar and just chill after the newscast it would it, it was so much fun it was like cheers you're right um the crazy thing about it is even though when I left Costa when I left KOSA and went to uh, Decatur, Springfield, Champaign, even though it was a bigger market, um, what, what surprised me was like, it felt like from station to station, um, the technology was so different. So I left COSA, I left KOSA, went to WAND in Decatur, Illinois, and we were doing tape to tape editing. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. That was in like 2009, you were just still doing tape to tape. We were doing tape-to-tape editing, yeah. And the way that they had it was that, yeah, reporters got photographers, but the photographers would shoot everything, and the reporters would have to edit their stories. 
God. I, I don't know. Looking back on it, I mean, I don't even know how I did that in, in Odessa. I mean, shooting my own video, editing my story every time. I mean, I'd be running up to that. Oh, man. I'd be running up to that little spot on the corner, that little studio shot, like tying my tie as they were reading the intro to me. I mean, it was really screwed up. I, I, I can't believe that that's, you know, but that, that was the reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I made some lifelong friends at that station who, you know, I will, I will always talk to, you know, and be friends with the rest of my life. It's funny looking back. I mean, Jose, um, was 33 years old when he hired me and he felt like such an adult to me and I'm now 34. So it's like, (laughs) weird that, that like, he was like this big bad, not big bad, but like, he was like this big, you know, like adult to me, this person who, he was a news director at a professional TV station. And uh-huh. he's so old, you know, I mean, I knew he was young at the time. Like I, I got that concept, like he's pretty young, but like still, it's just weird to me that I've, I've now uh, surpassed Jose in age. Yeah, that is crazy to think about. Um, so one thing I want to talk about that you mentioned is you said, if you're willing, is you said that you have good negotiation skill- skills. And I mean, that kind of makes sense for a reporter, honestly, because, you know, we're supposed to be good at communicating and talking and have confidence and stuff like that. But honestly, I've found that a lot of reporters actually aren't good negotiators. There's this weird thing where some of them, you know, they they might be like a pit bull when it comes to when they're on TV and, and doing investigative reporting. But when it comes to like their personal life and they go to get a new contract, they like shrivel up like a raisin and they get very like, not like a raisin, but you know, they kind of go into their shell like a turtle and become very mm-hmm. shy and like nervous and not good negotiators for themselves. So, I mean, if you're willing, like, can you talk about any, do you have any tips for reporters who are going to negotiate a new contract? I mean, it's kind of tough. I mean, some people have agents and, and a lot don't. I, I got rid of my agent a couple of years ago because I just felt that I didn't really need it anymore. And I was back in Pittsburgh, but what can you, what can you say about all that? Oh man. You know, I was, I thought that I would also have an agent by now as well. And I've never worked with an agent. I've talked to a few and like at length, I've talked to a few and, and kind of courted a few and a few courted me. And it was just circumstances where, I mean, in all of it with negotiations and with looking for agents, knowledge is power. And I just feel like as a journalist, part of your job is to get information, get the facts and, you know, learn as much as you can about what you're covering before you cover it. And the same is with jobs, the same as with agents, um, the same as with salaries, like you should know and want to know like what people are making and the markets that you're going to, you should know what the cost of living is out there. I mean, there's the free cost of living salary indexes that will compare like, okay, if you're making this much here, in order to stay in the same place that you're at, you should be making this much. And whenever I was moving to another place, whenever I was making moves, I would always be like, okay, I want to try to go for at least an increase of ten thousand dollars at least an increase of this you know um to offset that that move and also to offset um the cost of living increases because when you're going up in markets the cost of living typically increases so it's funny that you mentioned 
how high the cost of living was in Odessa. I think I was paying the same amount for rent at my apartment out there as I was for my apartment when I was working in Indianapolis, which is crazy. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, But so, yeah, you just want to make sure you have as much information as possible and don't be afraid to ask for that information. And if people tell you no, you just keep asking. You ask different people. And I think I'm pretty good at negotiating salaries and contracts and things like that myself. But there have, I'm not going to say there hasn't been a time where it's bit me in the butt. Um, I was going for a position in Orlando and, you know, everything, everything seemed like it would be stellar and everything looked great. And then they showed me what the pay was. And at that time I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I was like, well, wait a second. I told you I was making this amount and you're going to offer me less to live in Orlando, which costs more, that doesn't really make sense. And I tried to come back and uh, negotiate like, okay, well, can we do something maybe without or a shorter contract or this or that? And the news director called and left a message on my voicemail and was just like, it doesn't seem like you're serious about this position. I'm going to take this time right now to rescind the position. Whoa. And that hurt. <laughs> yes. Whoa. Wow. That hurt. Wow. And I was just like, what did I do? All I was doing was, and it wasn't like I was asking for 10,000 more than what they were offering. I was just asking for a little bit of a bump to compensate. And I think I even started to ask for, well, what about like, are people allowed to do like part-time jobs? Like if I, when I was in Decatur, I had also worked in radio as well. So I was like, maybe if I got like a side radio job, which if you're working in Orlando and also having to do a part-time side hustle job, that's also, to me, a red alarm as well. Because that's a top 20 market. Yeah. And at that time, you should be able to just focus on your craft and focus on what you're doing. But I'm telling you, man, like a lot of these jobs are, that's what they're offering people. And I, I really think this is why we're seeing so many huge market jumps is because they're not willing or wanting to pay people really what they're worth. Oh yeah. And it took a while. It it stung. It hurt. It took a while for me to understand that. Like if they can't pay for what you're worth, then you don't need to be working at that place anyways. But it, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, when I was getting into this, I, I honestly assumed I was like, it will take me, you know, 20 years to get into a top, like 40 market, like I'll probably be 40 years old and I'll get into one. And then, you know, everything changed very, very quickly. And it became then yeah. in a very short amount of time, like, oh, wait, no, like I'll do it really fast. And, and everyone's going to do it really fast for the most part, but you're going to get paid in, in peanuts. You know, you're going to be paid. Yeah. That's, that's the issue. There's going to be some dollars missing. Right, right. That, so, that should be there. They're hiring young, but they're hiring young because young is cheap. I mean, that's the reason. And then they're doing it because we're hemorrhaging viewers, you know, I think is, is partially. Yeah. So, you know, something, something's got to give, you know, and so basically that's part of it. I mean, the thing about Florida that I've always been told, you know, the, the, the knock on it is, is that they, they quote, pay you in sunshine. You know, they kind of figure, mm-hmm. hey, like everybody wants to work in Florida or a lot of people do. So there's a lot of competition for those jobs and therefore we can lowball you 
on salary and you'll probably just succumb to it because you know there's 10 there's going to be 15 other people waiting for that job that that's what i've always been told but that i think that story that you just told kind of sort of actually reinforces that to some extent yes it does but when i looked at because i i did my research before i came back with my you know my uh my counter offer and i so i knew okay what's like the 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 mean of what people are are making out here how many years of experience has such and such had in this market and they're making this like i i had a list of salaries and what i was offered was about 10,000 less than what was on that list wow and wow. i was just like <laughs> you got to well, be kidding me yeah well it sounds like you know things worked out okay and and you're pretty happy where you are so you know life takes these twists and turns and uh, sometimes at the moment you're like, Oh goodness. And then, you know, a couple of years later, you're like thanking, you know, you're, you're thankful that things work out the way they did. So. Absolutely. Um, so if you, you know, if, if a journalist at the Cronkite school or, or whatever, you know, someone who's like wants to be a news reporter or they think they do um, came up to you and, and asked you for advice um, about like, what's the best thing they can do you know, is it worth it? You know, should they still try to get into journalism or should they switch gears and, you know, go into another career? Like, what would you tell them? Do you think it's still a good idea? Is it still worth it? Wow, that's a great question. And I think I'm never going to dissuade or tell somebody not to follow their dreams or their passion or what they have in their heart to do. But I think that um, people need to be in the business of making sure that they're secure and that they have maybe their own independent things going on as well as doing the news, which that was the biggest thing that um, maybe annoyed me or not the biggest thing because there are other things as well. But one of the biggest things that um, annoyed me about it is I felt like we signed these contracts that lock us in and we're not able to use the skills that we have, the creativity that we have without a larger um, station ownership claiming and taking hold of that. So like the station that I was at, it was a script station. And within that contract, it basically said like any creative works that you do belong to script. Mm -hmm. So if I were to write a book, if I were to launch a podcast, if I were to try to launch a, a blog or something on YouTube, when I left that station, all of that would still belong to Scripps. And that is so, that is so like, I, I, I think it's so wrong for, for people when they're paying people less, um, people can be laid off at will, contracts are not being re-signed, things like that. And you're stunting people in their growth creativ creatively, and you're stunting people in what they can do to make sure that they can take care of their families in the future. I don't think that that's right. So um, for those students just coming out, I would say, you know, try to work around those contracts and, and where it says everything that you do will be owned by the station. Um, fight back against that because we're in a time now where people need to be able to diversify what they're doing yeah. so that they can make sure that they have a stable income, no matter what happens with that station or not. Right. It feels like 
I went through so many different station ownership changes, so many different GM changes, news director changes. And that's the thing that's constant in the news business is change. Um, Things change rapidly. Things change at the blink of an eye and you have to be ready for it and um, save up and have something that you can do no matter what to sustain you and your family um, throughout the years. Because a lot of people aren't going to be able to retire in news. I, I don't see. I don't see a lot of people retiring from news, unfortunately, anymore. And that's really something that these students should consider. Yeah. But, you know, part of the, part of the, what's tough about that is that they're often very young when they're getting into it. And the issue is that the station usually has like all the leverage, really. I mean, you know, they're more, Mm -hmm. they're more so the one that can just walk away and be like, okay, well then we'll just hire this other person. And so it, it is tough. I mean, you know, they definitely have a lot of leverage. I mean, if you walk into a contract negotiation and say, oh, well, I want to be allowed to do a podcast or something or, you know, create a YouTube channel, in most cases, they'll just be like, well, that's against our policy. And you'll be like, yeah, but there's always exceptions. I, I want you to make an exception for me. And they'll just be like, no. I mean, that, you know, that, I mean, I don't know. That, that's that's yeah. what you have just because it's tough. usually they're corporate. But so many people don't even ask. You're right. You're so, right. So, so many people don't even ask or you're try right. to push the envelope for for their work. And you have to ask. You do, I mean, to get anything in life, you, you kind of have to ask. So I, yeah. think, I think you're right. And I think you honestly have probably have a better attitude than me, which is a little bit defeatist. But I, so I like your attitude. You know, I mean, one thing that Jose Guyona taught me, and, and I'll always view him as the person who, or one of the people, but um, who kind of gave me my big break because he hired me at, at, at uh, CBS 7 in Odessa. But you know, one of the things he told me when I was wrapping up my time there had been like three years. And I was like, man, like, so why did I was kind of feeling nostalgic. And I was like, so why did you why did you like take a chance on me? You know, this like, kid from Pennsylvania. And he was like, oh, I don't know, you know, I liked your tape and stuff like that. And I was like, Yeah, but it's like pretty far away. Like, isn't it easier to hire people who are closer? And he's like, Yeah, it is. It is. But you know, you got to get some diversity of thought in here. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, but one thing he said when I'm leading up to is he was like, you know, it's really a shame though. And I was like, what? And he was like, it's a shame that it, it's really hard for me to, he's, he's like, it, this is like a sensitive topic, but he was like, it's easy for me to sometimes, you know, get someone from, you know, who has like enough money in their family to like move here basically, you know, and like, mm-hmm. you know, with these like, what do you, how do you want to call it? Like the high cost of living and like making a peanut salary. And he's like, honestly, I really struggle for like diversity in this newsroom. He's like, so you're this like white guy. Great. You know? And he's like, I love you. Like you're a great reporter, but like, he's like, it's really hard to like, for, you know, diversity of, of everything, you know, just of, um, yeah. sometimes of thought or geography or, you know, race. I mean, but especially race, you know, and that really struck me. And I, I never forgot that because, you know, I was kind of stuck in my own, you know, mindset of like, oh, everything's great. It's perfect. You know, all you have to do is just move across the country. And he's like, dude, like not everyone can do that. Like not everyone can afford to do that. And that's mm-hmm. a problem in journalism because then you, you know, have these people who sometimes are, you know, you might have a newsroom full of white people and that's, that's okay. But like, it's not okay because then you just have the same mindset, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, have you, have you noticed that in newsrooms that it, that it's like, very uh racially you know like all one race or or have you not seen that 
Okay, yeah. Let's get into it. Um, I have seen that in newsrooms, um, and I I do see it as another, calling it another issue of the fact that these stations maybe can only afford to hire people at certain prices. So you're getting a lot more people who are able to accept the lower prices because then their family, their parents perhaps, can help fill that void and maybe pay their rent or help right. pay for their clothes and right. things like that. And for me, I did not come from such a background, which is why in most of the stations that I worked for in the beginning, I was working multiple jobs. I remember when I was in Odessa, I went for a job interview at Target and they were like, but you work at the TV station. And at Target, they were like, don't you know that we start out if you have a degree, we have this uh, managerial program where you start out making $50,000 a year. Wow. No, I, wow. Actually, I was I, like, I should run over to I'm job like, job. <laughs> So I'm making seven twenty-five as a reporter. <laughs> and I was just like, people, please just give me the part-time job. Like, don't rub it in. Don't rub I don't it need in. to know what people are making <laughs> out the gate in this managerial program. But yeah, so... I definitely see, you know, because of the fact that that stations can only hire people at certain amount or they're only offering these lower salaries, um, there there are, you know, people that are like, well, my daddy bought this car or my, my mom gave me this outfit. Um, I'm seeing that a lot more in newsrooms. And, uh, oh, diversity, one of the biggest shocks to me was when I was in Indianapolis and that was a station, there's a lot of diversity in Indianapolis. I think I looked it up and the population was maybe about 30% black at the time that I was out there. And the newsroom reflected that and more. We had a black news director. Um, and I think there were at least maybe eight black people on air. It was a pretty big staff. We had maybe 20 people on air and almost half of those people were black. And little by little, those people left, their contracts weren't renewed, um, they quit, and it got to the point where I was the only black female reporter at the station in Indianapolis. And you I was the, like looking you know, around. You were, the, was, were there other black reporters or you were the, you're saying you were the only female black reporter? I was the only female black reporter there was one male black reporter and then we had one female black anchor and they chose not to renew her contract as well. So then it was just me and Deuce like left and he was retiring because he had been there for like <laughs> a super duper long time. So I'm like, I'm about to be the only black person on air. Actually. Okay. We had, we had a, another one. Uh, another black anchor, but they were like moving him around to different shows. But yeah. it just got to such a low level where I was like, "This is Indianapolis." Like, so it's not how does this happen? Yeah, it wasn't no. reflective of the community. No, and the people that we were hiring, it was like the same type of person over and over and over again. That's interesting. And was it that? Was it the black news director hiring the? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah which was like the most shocking to me. Yeah. And people, you know, you, you, you think, okay, everything's going to be different. 
you know, changes are going to be made. You know, they're going to care about this and care about that. And it was just, I think the state of what the the station was in at that time was just kind of like a survival mode. And like, maybe we need bodies or I don't know what the, the thought process was behind it, but I would hear from the community, like, what happened? What happened to the diversity? Yeah. We don't watch your station anymore because it doesn't really reflect, you know, the city yeah. and, and who we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, when I was like, I, I guess a kid, you know, or much younger, I didn't realize how important that was. I, I thought it was kind of just like, I don't know. I don't want to say like a lip service thing, but like, just kind of, I was kind of like, Oh, does it really matter? You know, like colorblind, you know, like the race doesn't matter. It's just as long, you know, what, what does it really mm-hmm. matter? You know, as long as you're objective. But as I got older, I, I really, I mean, I've, I've literally been in situations in newsrooms where I saw that we needed like a different perspective. We needed like a different background and, and, you know, it, you don't always have to be like a different race to offer that, but in many cases you just, no, right. you, just do, you just do. And, you know, so, you know, we'd be in a room, I'd be in a meeting with like seven white people talking about like this, this issue that basically involves black people. And we're sitting there like speculating and like, well, and it's like, I felt very uncomfortable. I was like, we, we need some diversity here in this conversation. Like how are, who are we to sit here and objectively, you know, tell this story whenever we probably don't know how it feels to be in the shoes of the people we're trying to tell the story of, you know? And so, um, yeah. you know, and it's not always a race. I mean, you know, whether it's black, white, or, you know, Christian, Jewish, I mean, diversity in a newsroom, I think is, is really important. I think so as well. And not just diversity, but also people who care about diversity like you said it it doesn't have to be like all a certain race or all a certain but it has to be people who are invested in learning and and finding out about the lifestyles of different cultures and different people and i feel like sometimes i i know that sometimes what that's missing which is why we have the gap like at the i think it was the Spokane station where they they ran that i think it was a sweeps piece about Asian spas and you know they they put the whole blanket over all of the spas like all of them are these illegal massage parlor type places and that is truly not the case someone pointed out oh well the news director is but the news director may not have been in those meetings which unfortunately they they should be in every meeting especially when it's promos and and big stories like that but uh, I think that's why we're, we're seeing more and more gaps more and more things where people are like whoa did you not have one person in the room that could have said don't do that or that's not a great idea right and that's the issue they don't have someone in the room that knows or cares yeah yeah absolutely and so you know and sometimes you know I don't know I mean sometimes it's probably like it's you know these are systemic things I mean we talked about it a little bit and Jose was very you know wise I mean himself you know sort of I, I guess you know, his, I mean, Jose is Hispanic and, you know, but I think he was wise to, to note what he noted to me at that time, something that I hadn't realized, but like part of it is, is a lack of candidates sometimes, but it, because it's of a systemic thing of, you know, not having the income, like you said, to, to, to do that, to move across the country. So, you know, hopefully some of these programs like the M-I-B-T-I, if that's what the acronym is, um, or the initials are of, of what you did and, and, you know, N-A-B and stuff like that can, 
can help this issue, but um, it's definitely a problem. Yeah, um, I think so. That it's uh, the MIBT, and it's still going on. They they select about maybe four people every year, and they place them at different stations. Um, but it is we we need more programs like that to to help out and to help get that diversity in the in the newsrooms and in different voices. And a, a lot of times they they do have. Um, diversity, but it might just be like producers or people behind the scenes, people that the community doesn't see. And it's just as important to have those people, you know, out front, out there as representatives of the community um, as it is to have the people behind the scenes and in the managerial positions as well, um, helping to make those decisions and guide the station so that they don't make those embarrassing mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and just, well, this will be our last <laughs> question on race, um, and then we'll move on to something else. But this is something I did want to ask you, um, just because there was an article in the, uh, the CJR, which is the Columbia Journalism Review, uh, which their tagline is the voice of journalism. And, um, the, the title of that article or that opinion piece was, um, quote, it's kind of like a mix of an opinion piece and an article. It's kind of a blend here, but it was called, uh, this just came out um, on the 25th. So was that yesterday? No, two days ago. Um, it, it's titled Racism Wears Down Pittsburgh's Reporters of Color. And part of what they're talking about in this article is um, how whenever there was the synagogue shooting uh, a year ago, actually this weekend, a year ago in, in Pittsburgh, which was absolutely, you know, there's really no words mm-hmm. to accurately describe how horrible that was. But after that yeah. happened, there was a lot of like Pittsburgh stronger than hate and stuff like that, you know, and, and T-shirts that came out and the communities coming together. But the article talks about how for many residents of color, the city's response and its media raised questions because basically, uh, you know, a black, a black journalist or artist was saying, or sorry, local artist, black artist was saying, yeah, the entire community should grieve over the synagogue tragedy, but why is there a double standard? If all lives matter, why aren't black lives mourned in this way, the same way? And, you know, basically the article says that's a fair question because in 2016, five people were murdered while attending a cookout in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And um, basically, you know, there was not like that, that same level of mourning for, you know, that tragedy and, and other tragedies that have in, involved, you know, um, uh, black people that have been killed. So basically, just I'll wrap up. This is like the longest question in the world, but um, <laughs> it's all right. the, uh, the the article says that you know that the this like per, this reporter basically interviewed black journalists in Pittsburgh, and their findings were that journalists in Pittsburgh believe that newsrooms in Pittsburgh need to improve coverage of and engagement with the African American community. Um, Journal, black journalists experienced backlash when they voiced concerns about coverage and lack of diversity. Sometimes they were simply ignored. Um, this led many individuals to stay quiet on issues of diversity inclusion. Um, journalists of color said that they had less sustained mentorship and fewer advancement opportunities than their white colleagues. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, have you, has any of that, those type of things, does that any of that ring, ring true to you? Um, not in not in Pittsburgh, but you know, in places where you've worked, it does for the most part. Um, 
I, you know, you go to newsrooms and there's always the favorite in the newsroom, no matter where you go. There's always like the golden child, that, that person that just seems to have things a little bit easier than some, but I, I don't think it's just, I, I think it's a lot of workplace politics that right. plays a part in that. Yeah. I think it's a lot of, you know, this person, I, I know their background, their background is more similar to mine. It's easier to conversate with this person. They remind me of myself. And I think people fall into that type of complacency of kind of lifting people up who are more like themselves than to do something that's harder, which is to bridge gaps and, and invite and accept um, that diversity of thought. Like a lot of places say they want the diversity of thought and they want diverse voices. Um, but when you get into that mode of, all right, we have a deadline, we have to get stuff done, it seems like, unfortunately, people forget about that, and they choose the path that is easier to get things done, um, which may not always be the best path to go, and, and it doesn't create the best stories, but uh, I think that's what happens. And I'm not trying to make excuses for anyone or anything, but um, yeah, I, I have... I have seen that in many newsrooms. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, we're going to, um, let's, you know, I'm going to try to be mindful of your time today. So we'll, uh, we'll start to wrap up. Um, this is the, uh, the rapid fire uh, question segment that we kind of will finish with. Um, so try to, uh, you know, just answer pretty quickly. Some of these will be like a one sentence answer, a couple, maybe two sentences. And some of them will be even one word answers or like a yes or no. So, um, who, what's, what's the biggest story you'd say you ever covered? Oh, gosh, that's such a hard story. Uh, I guess the presidential election out of Columbus, Ohio at the state house next to national correspondence. Nice. That would probably be the largest scale story I've ever covered. Who's the most famous person you've ever interviewed? I interviewed Matt Damon when he did uh, oh, a movie that was shot in Decatur, Illinois. Nice. Um, what is something that you, like when you're reporting, that you carry with you every day as a reporter that you see as indispensable, but that might surprise some people? Snacks. Snacks, you said? <laughs> I said snacks. Snacks, that's hilarious. I can't be hungry. And What's you never favorite? know what could happen. What's your favorite you snack to, uh, bring with you? Oh, I read somewhere, and I also heard somewhere on, a, on another podcast, probably an NPR podcast, that, like, cashews are, they're healthy for you, and they also have, like, this calming element when you eat them. I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, yeah, cashews. I usually have, like, a little pack of cashews on my purse. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, that is great advice, actually, for journalists, because uh, I think we all need to calm down a little bit sometimes um, for yeah. some relaxation. So um, that's awesome. Uh, what, uh, what TV show are you streaming right now on Netflix or HBO or whatever, Hulu? Um, Fleabag. 
I watched the Emmys and saw that clean up and win a lot of awards. And this is what happened with the marvelous Miss Maisel. I'd never heard of the show before. So I was like, let me see what people are talking about. And it's pretty good. So watching Fleabag on Amazon. That's funny because your, your episode, this is episode three of uh, the reporter podcast. And, and the person I interviewed uh, for the episode two said the exact same thing. They also said Fleabag. <laughs> so Fleabag yeah, it's funny. Definitely trending right now. Okay. I'd never heard of it, but that, that is, uh, I got to check it out now. Oh, yes. Check it out. I am uh, catching up on Succession on HBO, which is, is also trending Ooh. right now. Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, so what is your favorite podcast? Of course, besides Reporter, the one you're on right now. Besides this podcast, I listen. Oh, okay. Just pick one, though. I know you said these are supposed to be rapid and short in brief yes. i listen to so many different podcasts though that i love every week if you could only um, listen to one for the next year which one would it be oh. i mean you can name three there's no rules here you can name three if you want okay i will name three i love the friend zone i love um this american life and i love the moss radio hour oh, okay the stories yeah um yep if you, uh, if you ever, the, this American life, you know, they have like the app and stuff as well. They, they, have, they have an app and then they're also on like, you know, Apple podcasts and all that, probably Spotify. But, um, I was, I was actually on an episode of, uh, this American life back in, uh, what? yeah, back in, uh, 2010, I think it was whenever I worked in Midland, Odessa, we covered this oh, pretty crazy, awesome. this crazy story about these nurses that were like whistleblowers and they, they blew the whistle on this doctor who was doing these really crazy things. Like he like sewed a mm -hmm. piece of rubber onto someone and he like was giving people with diabetes like these high sugar drinks and selling like herbal supplements out of the trunk of his car in the parking lot of the Oh hospital. my gosh. They reported him to the Texas Medical Board and the doctor was friends with the sheriff and he had the local sheriff arrest the nurses for harassment. Um, what? It was crazy. So luckily... Uh, you know, the, the attorney on the case who defended the nurses was really well connected and he had a reporter for the New York Times do a story about it. And then I guess uh, the Texas uh, Tribune heard about it and they collaborated with uh, NPR and, and did a uh, This American Life episode about it. And so they interviewed me because I was pretty much the only like local reporter who, you know, was on top of it and was like chasing the doctor down the hallways. Wow. But anyway, fun, fun times. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you search the archives, it was in like June of uh, 2010, I think it was. So anyway, but okay. um, I'll check it out. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, all right. So Facebook, has it been good or bad for news? Hmm. I feel like I'm going through this right now with my station. So I'm also I'm in grad school right now. And so studying marketing and advertising, um, which is NPR, which is great because it gives me um, insight into how people kind of try to deflect our requests for interviews and to try and get stories done. I, I love seeing that other perspective of um, how their minds work. But I think it's been good in some ways and bad in other ways. It's been good because so many people are open and they will tell things and and give information that they wouldn't 
on Facebook. And by that, I mean information that reporters can use to track them down to get interviews, which I've done before. Um, I was one of those people that was calling people through Facebook messages before people knew that you could call people through Facebook (laughs) messaging. Um, But uh, I'm bad in a sense that we've become so reliant upon it that it's no longer driving audiences back to our websites. We are just in the business of making money for Facebook right now. Right. And I've been trying to get my station to see and understand that, like, yeah, it's great that we have a viral video that's on here. It's great that we have all these likes, but how in turn is that pushing people back to consume content in a way that will help our station continue to thrive and produce that content? Yeah, yeah. Right I'm now, it doesn't really feel like it. it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, would you say, so sorry, would you say, so at the end of the day, good or bad for news? I think it's good for news. Okay. Because even if it's not helping out in the most positive sense, it is giving us a slap in the face that we need to become more competitive and to become more creative in how we maintain our audiences. Interesting. And in that way, it's good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, All right. So this is kind of like outside of news. This is just like a general life question. What is one thing you believe that most other people would kind of think is crazy? So for example, sometimes, you know, sometimes people are stumped, uh, like some, you know, maybe ghosts for some people is an answer. Like I believe, I actually believe in ghosts. Maybe that's one. Or for me, like it can be anything. For me, my answer is that I am actually okay with ATM fees. Like everyone hates ATM fees, but I actually think they're kind of fair because if it weren't for ATMs, I would have to just carry all of my money that I have in a, in like a backpack all, all, all over the world. And that would be very impractical. So I actually think that like charging me $2 to get my money from anywhere in the world is fine. But most other people think that's crazy and they hate ATM fees. So can you think of one thing you believe in or believe, but that most other people would be like, that's kind of crazy? Oh, wow. Um, most other people, well, there's a lot of hate going on right now about candy corn. And I love it. I think it's delicious. <laughs> Someone also said that they didn't like the circus peanuts. And I like those as well. Oh, so God, I hate those. Those are, those are so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm with you. Okay. I, candy corn's okay. I, I like candy corn. So many people like Lucky Charms. They like the little marshmallows. They're just giant versions of those marshmallows and Lucky Charms. Think about <laughs> it that way. Wait, the circus peanuts are or the candy corn is? Yes, the circus peanuts. Oh, okay. See, I don't like those charms. So that, that's why I just, I don't, I don't like any of that. But um, that's a good answer. I like that. The, can, the candy corn uh, answer is good. Um, if you could have a billboard on the most highly traveled roads in uh, Washington, D.C., New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, what would you have on that billboard? You could have anything, a picture, a phrase. What would you, what would you want to be on that billboard? It would be for free. Oh, it would be something probably like inspirational, just like smile or you matter. I saw that when I was driving on the freeway the other day. They call it the freeway out here. I can call it the freeway again. I remember when I moved to the Midwest, they were like, freeway, what's that? And I had to switch up and start calling things interstates and highways and everything else. But it's back to the freeway. But um, yeah, I, it would be something inspirational. That's what I would put on the billboard to 
hopefully reach somebody and brighten up their day. And because you never know the impact that you make on a person just by a little gesture to help improve things in their lives. And so, yeah, um, it would just be like, you matter is what I would put on the billboard. Very nice. Very nice. Um, all right. So this question is like, it's fill in the blank. Um, so I'll kind of run you through what I'm looking for. It, it, it would, it's structured like Liz is the blank of journalism. And so what I mean is like, for me, I might say like, Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism because I, you know, I kind of think that I like to kick ass and I'm like innovative and like a little bit different. And, you know, that's what I want to be at least. So if you've seen the Jason Bourne movies, the Bourne identity, et cetera. So you had to think of like a fictional character that you would want to represent you. You know, Liz is the blank of journalism. Who do you think you might, how would you fill in that blank? I am like the queen of sidebars, but did you just see recently how this backfired for Mizzou because they had students and they just put up there like Michaela is black, Jerome is a brother, and then they put other students up and it said things like um, Melissa is going to be a doctor. <laughs> and, I was just, and, and that's another that's that's another example of like you need someone in that room to be like no you have to put up the full phrase. Okay, you have to look it up. If you haven't heard of it yet, you have to look it up um, and read the article about it. Search that. Um, Just put Mizzou. I'll I'll send it to you on Facebook. I will send you the link on Facebook. But that's just another example of not having someone in the room to be like, you can't put this out, out there like that. And they were all side by side. So they were like comparing different student athletes and one student athlete, it's like charity is going to be a doctor or charity will be a doctor. And then it would say, you know, Marvin is a brother. And it's like, how he said more than that. He said that he's a leader. He said that he's all these other things, but you pulled from his quote that he's a brother and tweeted that out in a, a promotional tweet for your school. Oh, I see. Insane. Got it. But so, okay. That was I a sidebar, okay. <laughs> it was a huge sidebar. Um, so you want me to say Liz is blank of journalism? Yeah, is, is the blank of journalism, like a fictional character that, you know. Oh, ooh. Liz is the Olivia Pope of journalism. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, and Olivia Pope is on the show. Is that, is she on, is she on, who is that? Is she on Scandal or? That was from Scandal. In the good ways, not the, 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 uh, sleeping with people that she shouldn't be sleeping with. But there's something you want to tell me about. <laughs> no. How have you advanced to all these markets? No, just kidding. Um, that is, uh, no. that is funny. Okay. I've actually never seen Scandal, but I know people love it. So, um, very, very cool. Um, who's your favorite stand-up comedian? Oh, wow. Favorite stand-up comedian. Ooh, Rami. And I don't know what his last name is, but I was just watching his stand-up on HBO. Rami? And I love his show. It's R-A-M-Y. Oh, okay. And that's also a show that I binged on Hulu. If you haven't watched it, you you should watch it. It's a great show, and he is a hilarious stand-up comedian. You know, is, what is the show called? 
It's called Rami. It's uh, just named after him. R-A-M-Y. Oh, okay. Is it Rami Youssef? Yes. He's Egyptian. Okay. Very cool. Uh, good suggestion. Um, what is the best movie about journalism of all time? Ooh, of all time. Mm. Wow. Mm. I, for some reason, it's not a movie, but it just, keeps popping in my mind and I miss this show and I hear that they might be thinking about rebooting it and I'm like please don't because you're going to ruin it but I love the newsroom oh, okay yeah the one with uh, Jeff Daniels the HBO show from several years ago yeah that was a good yeah. show I actually never finished it I'd, I'd like to go back and, and finish it I have that issue sometimes with these these series where I just don't finish them but um the, the only problem I have with and this is just me but that I have with some of the um the shows that are written because that was created written by Aaron Sorkin, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like sometimes the dialogue is just too sharp. Like I'm, just, you know, and I think he also did the West Wing, but like everyone yeah. always has this like creative, clever quip and retort that they give back to people, and I'm like, it's not real. No one's that. Yeah, exactly. It's not real. I'm like, no one talks that well on the fly, you know, and, and they have these yeah. like, amazing analogies ready to go. And I'm like, it, it, it makes me feel bad about my, about myself. I'm like, I just stutter <laughs> and, and look at people, you know, and, uh, but anyway, no, it's definitely a good show. And it's fun too, you know, but a lot, a lot of shows are like that, of course, because you know, it's, it's writers who have the time to, to write it. But um, all right. So what is your, uh, your favorite way to work out your favorite workout or your most common physical workout run I love running okay um yeah. do you do like distance running like like half marathons and stuff or not as far as a half marathon um okay. the furthest that I've gone is a 10k but yeah I like distance running nice nice um and will you stay in journalism the rest of your life I can't say if I will stay in journalism, but I know that journalism will stay in me. Ooh, how about that for a... <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. All right, Liz, well, thanks so much uh, for your time today. I uh, definitely took up a lot of it. I feel bad about that, but um, I think nope. it was a really uh, good conversation and, and has a lot of uh, insight from you that will be helpful to people like cashews and diversified newsrooms and some tips like that. So. Um, you know, some, some light stuff and also have some heavy stuff that we got into as well. So uh, a lot of fun to talk with you and catch up with you. And that's part of the beauty of this podcast is really it just lets me talk to some friends of mine uh, for, for, for an hour and a half. So um, always fun to touch base with, with people in the industry and, and uh, see what they're up to and, and their, their advice and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, thanks again. Um, <laughs> if people want to, uh, find you on social media or, or reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? I am on Twitter at watch LA every day. I am also on Instagram, Liz Adiola, um, A-D-E-O-L-A. And also I have a Facebook page, Liz Adiola, and a website, LizAdiola.com. 
And let's let's uh, and how do you spell your last name? It's A D E O L A. Oh wait a minute! There's a closing thing that I that just came back to me. It's a little it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> so uh, I, I I'm sorry. I just I can't not bring this up. There was a you were famous at, at at KOSA for being a good reporter, and also when I came there for the time that Mike Barker got your name wrong. Oh man, yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll, maybe you want us to stay away from that. Well, <laughs> no, it's okay. Did they not burn that tape though? So I, I I take it they showed you the clip. Oh yeah, everything. You know how this world works. Everything gets saved. Everything. Yeah. All stuff. I mean, it's not really embarrassing for you. I think it's, it's it was kind of embarrassing for Mike, really. Um, Mike yeah. Barker, great guy. But did you know? Okay, so there's a woman on Instagram that for some reason it it popped up. You know they read all our information and figure out what we would be interested in but there's a woman and her name is on instagram mrs nipple okay because her name is liz Ariola now because she married someone and she just embraces it and she goes by mrs nipple wow wow and she's a mom she's like (laughs) a mom instagrammer and that's like her her thing and she has tons of followers that is i'm like you go girl yeah, that is, I mean, sometimes you just have to lean into these, you know, embrace these things. But yeah, so for people who don't know the story, Mike Barker basically just, uh, you know, Liz's last name is Adiola, and let's just say he he switched the uh, the the D for an R, and then kind of got stuck as as hey, I mean, I've I've done anchoring, and sometimes you you say something the wrong way, and then you kind of just yeah. get stuck on it, and so he said it about like six times in a row uh, and stuttered his way through it, so. But um, yeah, so there's always bloopers in, in TV news. But anyway, all right. Well, sorry to put you on the spot, but that was just a funny moment. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Uh, all right. All right. Well, I look forward to uh, to share. So yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get this to you, and hopefully you can share it with your uh, followers or friends or whatever if you feel comfortable doing that. And uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But uh, yeah, thanks again, Liz, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a good day. Thanks for having me. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.